Hey, it's Chris Lindsay, and you're listening to Pitch List, the songwriter's podcast. We want to discover what makes creative people tick. Join us as we explore what it means to be a writer, and more importantly, what it means to be a person. Remember why you love music, and welcome to Pitch List. Hi, everybody. Our guest today is Katie Turner. She recently took a break from her American Idol tour and stopped by Amyland for a chat. She's funny and down to earth and super interesting. I know you're going to enjoy my talk with Katie Turner. Five, four, three, two, one. Good morning. Good morning. I am sitting this morning with Katie Turner. That's my name. Yes. That's Hi. you. That's you. Yes, I- we were just talking about uh, whether or not being uh, vegan was a good idea. Now, are you a vegan? Yes, okay. I've been for two years uh, and it's been great. It's been good. I still eat like trash, so nothing's changed really. Gotcha. Well, um, you just sang a couple songs for us Yeah, I, that I, were beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I was about to say, I hope they were good. I hope it was worth bringing me in this morning because wouldn't that be awkward if they were like subpar and you guys just had to be like, yeah, it's not really cutting it, Katie. They were mediocre songs, but welcome to my podcast. That would be awkward. So yeah. That would be awkward, but it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, so that didn't happen. Yeah, That's good. Now I'm looking, I made some notes here. I always do. You're from Langhorn. Pennsylvania. Yeah, we're, we're famous for a Sesame Street theme park, and that's about it. Loitering and Sesame Street theme parks. That's how <laughs> and we're you're, uh, and Now, we're going to catch everybody up, but I, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast will know, but you uh, were on American Idol this year. I know. That was a thing. Yeah. And you were out, you're out on tour right now. Yeah. And you stopped in Nashville, and you were so kind to come to uh, be on our podcast. You were so kind to invite me. Thank and, you. Oh, sure. No, I, I'm happy. You know, my wife and I, uh, we've worked with several idol people through the years and we watched the show and we just loved you on the show this year. Thank thought, you so from much. From the very first time you came on, it's just really, it's like a, I don't know, breath of fresh air. You're so authentic. Thank you. You know, and I think a lot of people on the show are authentic but there's something about you that's just great. It's rare to see a performer who's so open. You know what I mean? But people love it. You know, I, I don't make a conscious effort. I literally just wake up and that's how I act the rest of the day. Right. Like in my head, I'm not thinking I have to open up and show I'm relatable and be more authentic. It's just like, oh, what you see is what you get. And yeah. if like some days I'm more serious, I'll be more serious. Some days I'm more goofy. I'll just be goofy. I just feel it out. I just feel how I'm feeling that day. And I think Act what's attractive is that it comes from self-confidence. I have a 11 year old daughter and, uh, you know, I love her to see stuff like that because, you know, you're on that show having fun and yes. it should be fun. It could be terrifying. It could be hard. It could be that, but it's really a choice. Yeah, know? I agree. I think it's definitely the one thing I did try to make a conscious effort of was try to find the fun in everything especially with this tour i'm on too because sometimes it can get exhausting because for example today we have to meet 200 people are coming to our meet and greet in nashville and that can be exhausting like and a little terrifying too because you're like how will i act people paid money to see me so am Mm -hmm. i going to perform a certain way to like it so that i can fit the image of me in their head but then i can like step back and find the fun in it and find 
the joy and the fact that people are wanting to meet me and the fact that people watch the show and are coming to the concert. So it's always kind of like a yin and a yang and always finding sure. the balance and good in everything I do. I've heard artists describe what you're talking about as uh, artists are somewhat of politicians. Yeah. Right. So there is a part of the job where, you know, you got to go out of the house. And once you're out of the house, you're, you're on, you're on. I think because you run into people in the Walmart, you know, and they're, you know, they love you and they want to talk to you. And if so, if you're in a bad mood that day, you can't really be in a bad mood. Yeah. I definitely think that one thing no one really prepares you for. Well, first I was never prepared for this industry because some, some of my co my peers have worked at this for years uh one of my friends has been performing since she was 11 one of my other friends won another singing show when he was younger that was on like a small network and i came out of my bedroom just singing and was put on the national stage so wow. i'm learning a lot yeah. and one thing i'm learning is that whatever you're feeling you have to kind of put it in a box and put it aside to deal with after the show because there. You kind of have to hide your personal life a little bit from sure. the other people because yeah. they're paying to see yeah. you from the show. They're not paying for Katie Turner and all her all right. her problems that right. came with her right. that day. Right. Yeah, that's true. And th that's the entertainment business because you have to be in the moment with your audience, too. And you have to be in the moment they're in. Yeah. Somewhat. It's an interchange. But um, I think that's all great. I want to talk about um, I read an article about your influences and in your mm -hmm. songwriting, because this is more of a songwriting podcast, although yes. we do lots of different guests, but I, I want to talk about that. So you listed the Beatles, Joni Mitchell, Dodie Clark. As yes. your, are those your main influences? Yeah, I like how the Beatles... I mean, I'm not talking about their experimental songwriting stuff. Like, we don't have to talk about their I'm not writing I Am The Walrus type right, song. Right. But I mean, songs like Yesterday, mm -hmm. like... Hey Jude, when I'm 64, like those kinds of really songs that tell a story through their lyrics. I love how the Beatles changed the game in that way. And I they love, did. I love McCartney and Lennon's writing so much. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I love them. Dodie though was one of the main reasons I wrote songs because she's a YouTuber. If you didn't know. No, I know well, all about Dodie. One of the podcast listeners listening. Hello. Uh, this is the Dodie Clark 411. She's a YouTuber. And she has a ukulele. She also plays guitar and many other instruments and piano. And she was my first, uh, what's the word? She was my first look at an actual singer-songwriter mm -hmm. who just wrote what she felt and posted it online. And she didn't have a bunch of frills around her. She didn't have a backing band. It was just her in her bedroom or wherever she was at the time, just playing her little instrument and singing. And I was so impacted by it. Because it was such a simple thing that she was doing, but it left such a mark. And her and she's like she didn't have to belt to get the message across. Her words did that for her, and that was what it, it kind of introduced me to having songwriting as an outlet. Sure, and I think um, as I was telling you and your mom, I have uh, an eleven-year-old daughter, Lola, and she loves Dodie Clark. As a matter of fact, we listen to Dodie Clark in the car. You know, she has to get her little Bluetooth in her phone and she'll play it the whole time. So I'm very familiar with Dodie. She and I think she's fantastic. I think she's very influential in your generation. And she's also very open about everything in her life. She's very transparent. Yeah. Like her songs aren't all about one thing. She struggles with mental illness and she writes about her mental illness. It's not something she's trying to hide. And oftentimes what happened like 
before the music industry because i feel like there's a shift Mm -hmm. it was that if you were struggling you couldn't be open about it it was it was constantly putting on a mask to show um the people one side of you and that's not relatable because many people struggle and not seeing your struggles be talked about is kind of even more isolating than if it was talked about. And Absolutely. So what Dodie does is she writes about her, like what's her struggles and her mental illness and she embraces it. And it made me, when I was 15, 16, not feel so alone in my own struggles because there was someone who was living a great life but still struggled just as much as I was. And it was just nice to see that you could still have a career and write great songs and sometimes not be perfect 100% right. of the times and feel sad and feel something more than the three common emotions written about in songs heartbreak yeah. love and sadness well yeah and, what sadness want to be through something a little well different. yeah there it's usually relationships yeah it was always it's like yeah relationship songs and getting over that boy yeah, break up and uh well you know taylor came along and did a lot of female empowerment yeah. i think she she was a version of what Dodie's doing um she was talking right to the girls about things that were huge in their lives that maybe adults didn't recognize yeah and i think that creates an incredible bond i also think that Dodie is uh I love her message in general of inclusion, and I think it's really fantastic. Now, where did you encounter the Beatles? So it started, I don't really know, because my family, my mom's in here, so I'm not throwing Mm. you under the bus. Sorry, mom. I wasn't really raised in a musical family, and I don't have the story of my dad was playing it one morning and I heard it. I actually found them just through the internet, and when I was eight years old, I got obsessed. I had my mom take me to a Beatles tribute concert in Philadelphia. I I bought Beatles the rock band game. I was obsessed and I couldn't get enough. And I think it's because there's just something so unique that the Beatles still have that I haven't encountered with any other band. And it's and they've it's been like sixty years. It's crazy. It's amazing how timeless they are. And I think that's also what inspired me. It's the fact that they are timeless and the fact that you can't replicate their sound as easy and they'll only be one of the Beatles. Like with in this era, I feel like you can get people and they'll be like a mix of like two or three different artists and they're not really changing the game. And I think the Beatles were trailblazers and that's what always draws me back into them because they did have the rock side, but they also did have their folk acoustic stuff. And they had a song for everything you could imagine, Mm -hmm. every emotion you wanted to feel. And they really had a backstory behind their lyrics. Like, Hey Jude was about like uh, John Lennon's son. And like, there's always a story behind such simple lyrics that makes it so much more powerful. And I, that's how I got into the Beatles. Yeah, you're right. They were game changers. And actually, they're the architects of modern pop music. It's still constructed the way they did it as songwriters. I mean, even to this day, the way they put things together. Um, yeah, their chord progressions. And, and the, the, the variety uh, you know what I mean? Of the, you don't see that. Today, you'll see an artist that kind of stays in one little lane you know, musically, and they were all over the place. Because I, I feel like now it's, if you're put in a box, you really can't escape it, which is why also Taylor Swift could be seen as kind of a trailblazer, like we mm-hmm. were talking about earlier, because she made the shift of breaking out of one genre and crossing right. into another. 
almost seamlessly. Yep. And she still had the support of the other genre and she was allowed to experiment. Oftentimes I feel like when you're when you're pronounced as R and B, you have to stay that way. Like right. you can't really explore and experiment. And I think the Beatles, they they threw all everything that was holding them back away they're like if i want to make a rock song i'm gonna do it if i want to make a country song i'm gonna do it if i want to do this you can't stop me i'm gonna write it and i think that's also what's amazing is just how their ability to bounce around and have fun in their own music and never really get tired of what they were writing because they had so many different avenues they could take yeah it's true it's crazy i have a 16 year old and again lola who's 11 they love the beatles um Let's talk about songwriting. So I'm, I'm getting the idea that, because um, we were talking before we started, um, you write by yourself mm-hmm. and you were curious about how like Nashville co-writing worked. Yeah. Um, uh, tell me about your process because, you know, you played one of the uh, 21st Century Machine. That's yeah. the song that you auditioned for Idol with. Yeah. I couldn't love that more. Thank you. I love that message. You know, obviously being a dad of a, a young daughter and- you know, all the stuff you said, the culture that's out there, yeah, that's I, actually at war to the girls, you know, it always really lifts me up to hear that kind of message. Thank so you. Um, I just want to say that. And then secondly, I want to say, I want to ask you, um, do you kind of just vibe out your song or do you have an idea for a song and start or all? I'm sure it always. So I noticed that I can't sit down and force myself to write a song. And I know a lot of people, a lot of songwriters have that mentality of kind of like unclogging a drain so you have to write a lot of trash to get really good stuff but for me i can't even do that because when i really write garbage i write garbage and it just it doesn't inspire me if i'm not feeling it i just can't continue because it's just a bunch of rhyming words to me Mm -hmm. it doesn't make a song doesn't really relate so what i have to do is i really have to be in the mindset and have an idea and i really need to feel passionately about something um so if uh, it's kind of become my therapy almost. And it, when I wrote 21st Century Machine, I was mad. I was being peer pressured at school. Right. Uh, at my school, people were doing weed and I was actually in the minority for not smoking it. But, and here's the thing, I'm not like uptight. I'm like, you can't smoke weed, like live your life, do sure. whatever you want. Uh, but I was getting peer pressured and kind of like belittled for not doing it. And I just wrote that song and I was like, I'm tired of being spoken down to just because I'm not doing something that everyone else is and I turned on the radio and I heard a bunch of songs about a bunch of rap songs that were like using derogatory terms to refer to women as it's it's just awful and I don't want to jump on rap music oh rap music is is great I'm not against the the format but some of those rappers it's just terrible and the most um the line i'm not in love without a man sitting next to me because yeah. i felt like there was only one yeah. type of love being depicted on the radio and it would be between a man and a woman and it wouldn't like and it wasn't really you know going out of its way to explain there's more than one type of love and there could be friendship love there could be familial love like there's more than just the uh man and the woman and i wrote about right. that because i was just tired of hearing the same old thing you know that that thing uh, the way I see that, that that's another old idea. Uh, same with music categories where they want to mm-hmm. put you in a box. This is, you're this kind of player, you're our singer, and this you're kind of singer. They do the same thing with relationships. There's boxes that you've got. And the, the truth about human beings is 
there's really no telling who you could fall in love with. Yeah, exactly. And people fall in love with people. They don't fall in love with a category. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that your generation is starting to get hip to that, and I think it's great. Thank you so much. Because some people could be like, well, why is she coming after us? I'm like, listen, you speak your truth. I'm just speaking mine right. and what I see. So it's kind of one of those things. Um, I saw somewhere, I was reading something, you did a Marina and the Diamonds cover. Yeah. Do you like Marina and the Diamonds? I love her. I do too. She's incredible. She is. She's one of those artists who made it big for writing all her own stuff. Yeah. Like she never had to compromise her own identity right. to get those radio hits. Like exactly. she never was given a song like Prima Donna or How to Be a Heartbreaker. Right. She like, and there, she, with the guys under, these are going to be radio hits. She recorded them because she loved them and right. it fit her character at the time because that, that just blew up naturally. And I, right. I like that. I like, if I ever were to have a radio hit, I would want it to like blow up organically and naturally. And I never try and write a song under the like under the notion that this will blow up. This is what's right, selling. This is going to be a state. giant hit. Yeah, because then I feel like it it loses the authenticity that I want my songwriting to hold in itself. Yes. No, I think you're absolutely right. I honestly, you're incredibly wise for your age. Thank you so much. Dang. So you started playing at 14 or 15? 15. Uh, 14, we don't talk about that year. It was very bad. It was like, <laughs> and I never practiced. Mom's like, oh, Lord. Yeah, I that. never practiced. Like, uh, I went in there and I wanted to be, this was during like my pop punk phase. I mm -hmm. wanted to learn electric guitar and I had it and I didn't know how to play it. I could only do one chord and it was the G chord. And then I would just get so frustrated with myself and give up. It wasn't until 15 where I picked it back up and I'm like, okay, so my pop punk girl band vision is not working out for me. So I think I'm just going to stick to what I'm good at and uh, be creative. And I never really even knew I had musical talent until I picked it up and everything was kind of falling into place naturally. Yeah, I mean, because you sing so well. You know, that's Thank that you. was my next question. Um because, you know, talking to you and your mom before we started, no one in your family did music, right? No. You weren't around. So this was just you. We have we have theories. Like, and everyone kind of pops in. Like, my, my, my grandfather will be like, you know, maybe you got it from me because I like to sing. And then my, grand, my other grandfather who passed away before he passed away, he was like, my mother used to sing. Oh. So there are theories. Maybe I got it from my great-grandmother on my dad's side. Maybe I got it from my grandfather on my mom's side. We really have no clue. Wow, yet. it's so interesting because I read an article where you were talking to someone saying, you know, you you didn't, some of the girls, or all guys, all of them, started singing at four. Like they would say, oh yeah, I was singing it by five. And you know, yeah, that's and that's so not your story. No, it's literally when I say, like one day it just happened. Because here's the thing. When they say, like, I've been singing since two, and then they've always been raised knowing they can sing. When I was eight, you get I guess you could say I started singing because I sang karaoke on a cruise ship. But it was always like, she's just being an eight-year-old singing. It was sure. never like, oh, wait, she has talent until high school ran around and I joined a choir. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of my other peers were like, wait, no, Katie, you can sing. And I'm like, 
okay, because I was the shy little girl who's not really used to compliments. Mm-hmm. And then it started to grow. And when I say I auditioned for shows with singing, but it was never serious. I knew I'd never get on. My mom always told me growing up, like, you're good, but I never really believed it. And I had a voice audition three weeks before I made American Idol uh, and I didn't make it. So I was like, I'm just not good. But so wow. then I just tried out for Idol and and made it. And then suddenly everyone's like, you're such a good singer. Where did this happen? I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I literally just came out of being like sheltered up in my bedroom, writing songs about everything from liking a boy in the hallway to mm-hmm. how sad I am. And now I'm in front of Katy Perry, Lionel, Luke, uh, Lionel and Luke Bryan. And yeah, that makes no sense. Well, let's talk about it. Because I think a lot of times on the podcast, I love to sort of dive into adversity because a lot I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast are at the well not all of them but are at the beginning stages of their career or maybe yeah. not you know and they're kind of figuring their way and I always like to talk about this because I think it's really important so you had times before idol where you were experiencing rejection oh it started when I was 11 because I was I was so optimistic when I was younger. I don't know where this this pessimism, pessimism and realism came into play, but it really put a halt on my, really got in my grill a little bit. But when I was younger, I was like, well, I like to sing, so I guess I should try out for a national TV show. Not understanding anything what it takes. So I auditioned for America's Got Talent at 11. Okay. Didn't make it. Right. Because... Were you crushed? No, because I, I really didn't even really know... Like, because I was 11, I didn't understand. I'm yeah, like, yeah. well, I'll still sing. That's the right answer, by the way, I think. I've yeah. learned, um, you know, success is what they call continual failure. Yeah. You know, right? So then I was in, I saw a show called The X Factor, and one of my favorite girl bands was on it, Fifth Harmony. Yep. And I was like, I want to be in a girl group, so I'm going to audition for X Factor. Again, like, unrealistic things going in. Like, I still didn't want it as a career, so it wasn't make or break. And I, I auditioned for X Factor at 13. And the woman said, come back next year. And I was like, oh, darn. Okay, I'll come back yeah, next but year. Yeah, that, but that's progress. Yeah, it's progress. It's getting better. But then it's canceled. And I'm like, oh, whatever. It'll never happen again. Uh, the Voice, cons- I tried out for The Voice three times and was rejected. Didn't even make it past the producer round. And the one that got to me, though, the one time, because after you reject it so much times, so many times, it was three weeks before my Amer- my successful American Idol audition. I remember like crying to my mom. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good because the producers won't even look me in the eye when I'm singing. Right. And I'm not what they want. I'm not what they want. I'll never be what they want. And I should just quit. Um, it's going to be my senior year of high school. And I should just give it up. I'll always be just that good singer in choir, but never anything more. And then... American Idol sprung back up because it was being brought back and there were auditions in Disney World. And my mom booked me a ticket. She's like, you're going. And I'm like, whatever. If So so mom was on board. Mom was like... Yeah, I didn't want to do it. She booked it without me even knowing. She just said, you're wow. going to audition, give it one more chance. I'm wow. like, it's not going to happen, but at least I have an annual pass for Disney World. <laughs> so if I don't make it, I'm just going to go... Yeah. Um, go go on Space Mountain and feel better about myself and yeah. then quit singing. You know, like, whatever, I'll have a ride and then I'll quit. And then I made it. And I remember when the producer set gave me that golden ticket to go to the executive producers, I remember just falling on the grass and it was outside. So my, my, my grandmother who took me thought it was heat stroke <laughs> while I fell on the ground, but I was just like 
so elated and I just start bawling my eyes out because it was literally like and then everything started falling into place and I started getting yes and yes and yes and I kept making the rounds until I was top seven and 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 it was like one of those things where it's like when it really is your time you'll know but without all those no's Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have gotten here because It really like all those no's like prepared me and made me ready for the next step. And they might've made you work harder too. Yeah, definitely. You know, maybe when you get a no, it's not, or Amy says, uh, when she hears no, she thinks not yet. Yeah, not yet. And I think that's one of the most important things to learn as a musician because you're a rare breed. If you get yeses your whole life, yeah. I, because yeah. that is just unheard of. Well, you. it doesn't happen. I think that's what we need to learn as musicians. Katy Perry. Yeah. Katy, Katy Perry. was grinding in LA. Oh, she came here. She did a record or two here in Nashville. I think she did a Christian record here. I think she had three record deals before she finally did this, the record that launched her. But anyway, the point is it, yeah. t- it took a while. Everybody has to go through things like you could have the best voice in the world with the best personality. But it's all subjective and you're just not, if you're not what one person's looking for, you could be what 10 other people are looking yeah. for. It's just about timing in the right place right. and just knowing how to take a no graciously because, and this is coming from my heart because I, I knew, I didn't know how to take no, like very gently around the end because it gets so frustrating. You get so yeah, tired but, out but being told I no. I think that's great. And that is also something I've seen in people in this business who do really well is they don't take no. Now they're not, you know, they're not rude. And like you said, they're gracious to people when they say no, but inside they're like, you say no, I say yes. And you're not, I'm not going to be knocked off of that. I, I've noticed with people who do well at this, they have sort of that, what we call the eye of the tiger, which is they're going to do it. It's all about the drive, right? It's all about the drive. And it seems like you had that at a young age. I, I think I did, but I, like I said, I also didn't know I wanted this as a career. I think it was more always of like a drive to better my hobby. Right. And then as it got later on my years, I'm like, I want to take this hobby into an actual career. And that's when I don't have it. That can also be a function of growing up in a family that's not a musical family. I mean, yeah. it, it's uh, I grew up in a family that didn't do music. So it just doesn't even get into your orbit that you could that that's something you could do. I kind of am thankful and grow up in a musical family, yeah, though. Yeah, I think it's I good. I think it let me pave my own way without any right. outside influences on my sound or my style. Like, my mom wasn't raising me around country music, so I so I wasn't on, like bred to go towards country music. Like, right. she let me figure out what I wanted to do and find my own sound and find which genre I preferred instead of just being mm-hmm. kind of weaned on only one. Let me ask you about this. I'm I'm curious. When you were first starting out, so you're watching Dodie, right? Yeah. And there's other YouTube performers who are fantastic too. I mean, yeah. she's not the only one. Did you emulate that? Did you do that? Did you make videos of yourself and make your own channel? I do have a YouTube. Uh, but like back then? Back then, I did, but I made my videos private because they were so cringy. <laughs> um yeah, it was immediate. When I, when I got on American Idol, it was like the day I realized I was going to be on TV. I just made all my old cringy videos as private as possible so no one could find it. Oh, so okay. on my YouTube channel, it also shows how much my voice has developed mm-hmm. because back then I'm like, oh, Katie, you really do sound like your cat and that is bad. 
but I did make YouTube videos and with the camera angles, with the intro, I it was very cringy, but yeah, I did try to emulate okay. it because that's good though. It's all a learning process. It was really I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I've only been around you now for about an hour, but I can see you're uh you're a perfectionist. You're very hard on yourself. Not, <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way, but oh, no, I am. That, but you are very uh you're you're a perfectionist. I can like, hear everything yeah. bad. Like if I go a little flat on a note, the normal mm-hmm. ear would be like, "Oh, she went flat." I'd be like, "Start over. Start over." No, right, no, no, right. no, no, no. I can't. Oh, my guitar was out of tune. Ooh, and it's just something I have to learn now as an artist and being in this industry is nothing's ever going to be perfect and no. people are more attracted to the raw and the they real. Are. And not saying you should not have a polished song cuz you can no. try and polish all yeah. your songs, but I mean in the sense that a mistake is okay. We all make mistakes. Mistakes are okay, but the instinct to make everything better and to be a perfectionist is why you're as good as you are. Yeah. I would not lose that. That's I just, just from my point of view. That is that's the difference. You know, you're you're always try to better yourself. Yeah, yeah. Trust me. Yeah. Podcast listeners, I'm not satisfied yet. Maybe I will be when I'm forty five. No, even then I still feel like I'll find a problem. Oh. Well, let me ask you this. Where do you if you if you could have this thing go as, you know, perfectly to your desires, where do you see yourself in five years? I, I'm trying to dream as big as I can without like yeah. having the realism step in. No, no, no. We're, this is a hypothetical, and you know. So you know the artist Ed Sheeran. Sure. I really admire how he can sell out arenas and it's stadiums crazy. with one video screen behind him. One video screen. One guy in a loop pedal. A loop and pedal. He's doing a stadium. Dressed in flannel. It's not crazy. Dressed. I I just. I admire that. And that's where I want to stand. That's where I want to see myself. So arenas in five years, hopefully making a name for myself, having two albums and a successful career. That would be my dream. That's my, if everything works out smoothly and Mm -hmm. life doesn't shove a stick in my bum. Sorry, mom. (laughs) That's that's the goal. And he's a game changer because I think that so many times... It, with big record labels, they don't sign you for your voice or your content. They sign you for right. your looks. Right. And Ed Sheeran isn't the typical like no. heartthrob. No. He's, he's a ginger, normal sized yep. man, no six pack. Right. And he doesn't. He doesn't have backup dancers, and he's not like having girls grind on him to show how sexy he is yep. on stage. He's just singing about real things in real time. But and here's what's working: they're great songs. They are. People are coming there to hear him. And he's a great singer. He, I mean, it's a two, there's two parts, but people are coming there to hear those, to hear him sing those songs. That's what it is. You pull the songs out of the equation. There's nothing there. That's why none of that stuff ever matters. And I think he's a great example for what really matters in this business. People love those songs. And the fact that he, the fact that he is writing those himself or with like, Mm -hmm. he, or co-writers like he but he always has a say in what he puts out it's always his own identity laced in yeah. with, even oh, yeah. if other influences are there i i just like how ed sheeran and even more artists these days are just now putting at least a piece of themselves it in seems their work. to be yeah now in the older days of country music uh who wrote it wasn't a factor you know no one yeah. I, I think the fans knew somebody wrote it but they didn't really care it's like it's tim mcgraw it's he's saying it i don't know who cares you know and for me as a writer, I look at it different because I think nobody goes to movies and says, Brad Pitt didn't write that. He's just reading a script someone gave him. It's like, is it a good movie? And did he do a great job with the character? Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't supposed to see the writers. 
But there is a change now, a big change with your generation where um, there is credibility involved of being a writer on your stuff. But, and I get it because I think it's somewhat of a marker of authenticity, right? Is, is that what I'm asking? But if someone writes his own, if they don't write their own songs, you're wondering, well, what part of them am I, you know, I want to know about like, them. Like, is it real? Right. Can they actually wanna, relate I, to that situation? I don't want to hear about some writers getting his heart broke. I want to hear about him, Ed. You listen to his songs and it lets you put the puzzle pieces right. together. I think, it, I think it adds value to the artist that you know that they're a part of the composition. And, and and like they're not just a product, they're they're actually right involved in every step of the process. They're, yeah, like in the old movie Wizard of Oz. Yeah, they're not. Where you find out there's a guy behind the curtain, you know. Yeah, I I think like I'm not shaming anybody who doesn't write their own songs because it's tough too. I think no one really talks about how hard it is to write a song, yep. but to write a great song because it's kind of an acquired skill mm-hmm. and it's kind of like singing you either have it or you don't yeah it's, it's songwriting is nothing that could really be taught it's something that you just have to naturally figure out for yourself so sometimes it is hard to write a song and if someone gives you a great song heck record it but i think it does it is really impressive when an artist can sure speak through only a three-minute song and tell you everything they need to right. say through rhyming words and through music and through emotion. And I just think it's an, it's like an audio book, but sure. to music. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? If an artist has a big record, first record, and then they're touring constantly around the world and they've got to put out a second record and they don't have the songs because it's hard to write when they're on the road and doing this massive tour, then maybe writers come out and, and work with them. I can see that. And, and I, I, you know, like I said, I write songs for a living, so I'm pro songwriter, but uh, it all depends on what you want to do. So on the tour, are you having fun? I'm having so much fun. It's, I think it taught me that this is actually what I want to do because I think on the show, I think on the show, it's like, yeah, singing is cool, but then that's only one side of the industry you see just doing one song a week. Mm -hmm. on national tv but then on tour you really get to get to the nitty-gritty of the industry and you get to get see the hours the touring situation the buses the venues um not knowing where you're gonna be the next day because you're out of whack with your sleep schedule but i realized that i love it because when i got on that stage to see people in real time reacting to you and kind of being able to be more yourself because you don't have a network controlling you or anything that's when i realized that this is what I want as a career. And I could, because it's amazing how all your personal issues just float away mm. when you go on stage and sing to the crowd. It's like nothing else matters. Right. It's and it's amazing. Now, the, there's moments. There's moments. Yeah, there's moments where you're like, oh, but I, I never resent the actual performing part. I always just resent. Right. Maybe it's like, right. oh, I'm, I'm around the same people all the time. Right. But that's also nice to be around the same people all the time because I'm with some people who understand what I'm going through. Yeah, and who 20%. you probably love. I'm sure you bond. Yeah, we're all really good friends. Yeah. And it's like, listen, I just graduated high school, so I would have just been had to work a part-time job this summer right. going to college. But being able to do what I really love and writing songs and being around everybody. Because you're such... It's influenced me because being on tour, and especially this unique tour where it's the top seven of American Idol, I'm picking up different things from each artist chris allen plays his guitar a little bit differently i'm picking up things from being around him gabby can wail she can really belt 
and I'm trying to better myself in my voice so I can reach some of those notes that she's doing. And Maddie has character and timbre mm-hmm. in her voice that I want to um, incorp- and, and incorporate. So it's just, it's amazing being around musicians all the time because you're picking up so much and learning so much and I'm loving every second of it. Well, that's fantastic. So when the tour is over, you'll probably uh, take some time off, right, and make a record. Is that the plan? That really is the plan. And then start touring on your own. That's that's the dream. I I, I hope that. Uh, I just hope that everything works out. Like you said, I, in a perfect world, what would you see? I say I say my prediction is the universe says yes. Oh, thank you. That's what I see. Thank you so much. Because all you have to do, and it's a big all you have to do, but make a great record. And I think. You know, you make a great record that I know you have in you. Make the great record and uh, everything else will fall in place. And whatever dynamics of how the business has changed, I don't know. There's different things going on. But I do know it's better than it's ever been for artists because, like you said, if it's good enough, they'll find it. Yeah, and I think that's amazing for artists nowadays because back then you had to get a whole team behind oh, Lord, you just yeah. to be heard. And now if you just post one song on YouTube, it can blow up. I mean, obviously I had the promotion through American Idol, but my 21st Century Machine video on YouTube has over a million views. Right. And it was just me in my bedroom singing the song as raw as possible. Yeah. And people found it and people are still... Yeah, and you can't have a million views by marketing. You know what I mean? That that's the people have to like it and they share it. That's why they, they hear something and then they share it. Um, what was the first song you ever learned to play on guitar? It actually was an original, but it was so bad. Like I remember the lyric contents and, but it was was an original. It was the first thing you did. Yes, it was. It's interesting. Cause I learned the chords online Mm -hmm. and I put them together and it was the chords G, E minor, C, D7. And I remember it was just so bad. My mom was a video of it on her phone. It was like the lyrics, like, you know where to find. It was like a typical love song. And it's mm-hmm. like, let's get married. Because I'm trying to force myself to write it. And it yeah. was garbage. But Do that you was write a lot of love songs? No, because I'm not in love. Right I, yeah, yeah, when yeah. I, I, I can't force it. it. I, I can't. Get, yeah. That's uh, smart. That's smart. Uh, and I find that. I don't know if there's like a songwriting problem that happens. Sometimes if you're really not feeling it, you just try to force yourself to write a happy song. It comes Mm. off so cheesy. It comes off so forced and cheesy. And it's, uh, I feel like my songs, when I'm speaking more of my truth, they actually just come out more organic and they flow better Mm -hmm. because I I feel passionately about it. So I I was able to write a song about heartbreak because I had my heart broken. Uh, And I did write some love songs actually, but they weren't, good if you sit down to write if you're uh when you're sad you you want to write it's cathartic that's exactly how if I you're feel. really in a great mood and happy you want to go to the movies or roller skating you don't yeah, want to write i don't want to sit that's, down it, that's why it's so hard to write happy up material that's authentic you know it comes off because you're usually forcing it and you're usually hey let's write a happy song let's write an up song and it's like it's sort of forced because that's if you feel that way, you really don't want to be stuck in here writing a song. Yeah. If you're, if you're just down way. and heartbroken or worried about something, then you, you're drawn to sort of blood let it out in a song. I think that's why that is. No, I think that's definitely what it is. Because, yeah, when I'm feeling happy like I am right now, I don't want to just sit at my guitar no. and strum a D chord and no. be like, sunshine and rainbows. No, you want to go to the mall or you want to go ride a bike or whatever. You or know? explore. Yeah, or, I, I yeah. get it. 
I'm curious. We'll have to do a follow-up next year. I want to see, do you think you're going to do some co-writing? I hope, yeah. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to see what it's like, see that process. Because yeah. I, 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 I never write with other people because I'm so so protective and so insecure sometimes about mm-hmm. what I sure. write because yeah. I, I never le- really let people see my process and I don't want people to see it as a, I, I, I'm, inf- I'm, I'm curious to see what people would say about my ideas right on the top of my head and see how right. they react. So yeah, I definitely do it. It would be interesting, but I do it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it'd be nerve wracking. It is. The first time I did it, I moved here. Um, I'd written by myself for probably 10 years and I moved here. It, I tell you the great thing about co-writing is once you get through the first nerve wracking parts of it and kind of get comfortable with it, man, you can learn a lot really quick because you work with people who have a lot of knowledge. It takes a lot of pressure off of you. You know what I mean? When it's <laughs> yeah. just you, like you've got yeah. a song, you're like, I like the chorus for this line, but the second verse is totally wrong. And it's very difficult to fix it on your own until you just fix it. And that could be weeks. Take weeks, months. Weeks, months. Yeah. Right. When you co-write with somebody who's talented and who matches well with you, it kind of takes that burden away because the other person's adding too. Um, I have really enjoyed sitting with you. I really enjoyed You are impressive. Thank you so much. I, I, w- I was telling Dana. I, I Thanks for prodding my mind. Um, well, I think about your, how old are you now? 18? Mm-hmm. It's just crazy how good you are and how smart you are about this at 18. Um, I think I was probably 33 years old before I had even figured any of this out. You know, it's like, I, I, it's amazing to me. I can't wait to see what you do. Thank you so much. So Thanks thank for you for me. being on Pitch List. Thank you, Pitch List. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List. To watch performances from this episode, head over to our Facebook page, Pitch List Podcast, or go to pitchlistpodcast.com. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us a lot. Thank you, everybody. I'm looking forward to seeing you next time.